Welcome, everybody, to the CCC Podcast. Glad you're with us. How's everybody doing? Good. Doing all right. I have a little bit of a cold. Sound a little scratchy there, Ed. Mm-hmm. I feel a little scratchy. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Are we properly distanced? Yeah, I don't think yeah. so. Nope, okay. you're not. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm going to move this way. We are properly distanced. I'm doing yeah. all right. Yeah, you're doing okay. All right. They are all properly distanced. Yes. yes. Absolutely. And and for lots of other reasons. Yeah, they yeah, are. It's not just for that. That's not are. just for that. All right. I'm not sick. Anybody wondering, I'm not sick. It's just this time of year, allergies. Allergies. I have it every year. I have a journal. I can show you. Long <laughs> before the time of COVID, I was sick on these days. Wow. Every just year. Just like every year. The same every time. year. I can look on my journal. These weeks in July, I have drainage and... Dang. Yep. I have to really try to watch, not get sore throats and all that mm. stuff. Okay. All right. All right, we'll keep this as short as possible, which for us is who knows how it <laughs> yeah, goes. Who knows? All who right. knows what's going to happen? We gave up on that a while ago. Yes, we did. All right, we're going to answer some questions. Uh, right. We had uh, some questions. Uh, the first one was actually sent to us, so let's get right to it. Uh, listener wants to know, why do you think there, there were name changes in the Old and New Testaments? And they give an example, which is a good example, uh, in the Old Testament, Abram's name was changed to Abraham. His wife, Sarai, was changed to Sarah. And uh, and they even mentioned that there were some of those as well in the New Testament, and they just want to know, why is that? Why do people get name changes in the Bible? Witness protection. Well, nah, well, that's maybe, what I think. Maybe. I think it may be witness protection. Maybe that's what it was. That's a good <laughs> answer. <Who knows? laughs> that's but not it. the that's correct we're one. we're leaving with. <laughs> <laughs> Running away from bills. Yeah, <laughs> that that works in our day as well. Yes. So, yeah. all right. Um, what I've noticed uh, and been taught over the years is a lot of these uh, instances, when there is an actual change of name, it has a lot to do with a change of um, a role in the, in your in their life, or mm-hmm. some type of a major uh, event happens in in someone's life, and so the name change signifies the before the event mm-hmm. versus after the event. That is certainly the example of Abram that you. You mm-hmm. asked. Uh, that's certainly why that uh, change was done. Ed, you said you had some, you looked up some information I did. about I that. I didn't get a chance to look all the stuff I wanted to look up, okay. but I understand that um, it has the indication of father to exalted father or father, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. So that's, you're talking specifically about Abraham, Abraham. and okay. it has something to do with the name of God. I can remember being mm-hmm. taught that. Mm-hmm. I did not have time to look it up, though yeah. we could have. Sorry, well, and, and sorry so I don't have a more definitive answer. Well, and I think that. if you look at back at the story, you see that the name change for Abraham happened from the moment that God makes him the promise and it's speaks a covenant. to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the covenant's made, and then the name gets changed. So. Well, and there's a level to Abram almost feels, there's a sense of irony even to his name in, in that part of the story of his name begins by meaning father he's not a father mm-hmm. right. so there's a lot i mean that's central to his story mm-hmm. then at the moment he gets his name changes at this point where he's calling out to god and almost saying you're not coming through on your promises mm-hmm. i thought you were god promises i'll make you the father of many nations he gets this name change his wife gets a name change mm-hmm. um also jacob changed to israel yep. after he wrestles with with, with with an God. angel or with God right mm-hmm. in that in very kind of in this dream literal kind of thing and then they change his name to he who wrestles with God yep. kind of thing so mm-hmm. all of that so as you said I think that's I think that's probably the most clear answer to they it are. is that there's a change of there's a significant event mm-hmm. there's a role change there's mm-hmm. a a part that you're playing in the story that's that's different than it was well in before. the ancient times names were very significant sure. in describing you or your family of origin or certainly, you know, a life trajectory that 
much more than our day. Mm-hmm. You know, people like to get into what names mean, but most people don't right. know or don't care. You know, right. for the most part, they certainly aren't significant to us. Not so back then; it was a little more significant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the questioner also wanted to know uh, about some of the New Testament examples of this, and the ones they didn't cite them, but I know probably what they're talking about is um, there's uh, Peter. Um, mm-hmm seems to go through some type of a name change. And uh, also Paul went from Saul to Paul, and they changed mm-hmm. to calling him, which uh, those are not as cut and dried as the, mm-hmm. the answer we just gave. Uh, as we were talking before we went live here, a lot of that has to do with sometimes they'll call him by a Greek name, sometimes right. by a Hebrew name. Um, and that was the re- reason for that. So when you've got languages being spoken, that's right, multiple languages. Yeah, Matthew, Levi. Matthew and Levi. Yeah, same person, different name because mm-hmm. of different language. Um, and of course, Peter, you've got there's Jesus making a point mm-hmm. in That's the right. event, um, you know, in that passage where he says, you know, Simon, Simon Peter, you're you're called Simon, but now uh, Peter meaning rock, and then he uses the example upon this rock, I'll build my church. So that was a significant event, and and I also think Saul and Paul is the Hebrew and Greek issue, right? That's right. Yep. He yeah. takes That's his right. Roman citizen when he when he's as yes. a Roman citizen, he's Paul, and mm-hmm. using that because he saw his role as the calling to go to the Gentiles, to yep. go to be the apostle to non-Jewish people. And so Saul was his Jewish name. Okay. So that's it. Yeah. That's a good question, though. That's a great question. Things are very confusing Somebody to lots of people. attention when they're reading. Yeah. It's something right. we can get in and get out real quick. So oh, and sometimes you you'll see Peter referred to as uh, Cephas. I just thought of that when you True, said that, which is also, will. that's that's his uh, Hebrew or that's Aramaic the, yeah. version of, mm-hmm. of, of the word for rock. So Yep. All right. Next question, and this was something that was asked in a not sent in, but just a, a conversation that uh, I think you had Ed I did. this past week, and uh, someone had asked the question, um, basically about how we got uh, or how the, the the books of the Bible uh, were included, which ones were not included, because as many people have you do a little research, and you know there are some ancient books that are floating around out there. Um, there's a Gospel of Mary. There's a Gospel of Judas, I believe. Sure. Gospel of Thomas. 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 There's a book of Enoch somewhere. I and think there's a Gospel of Jesus. Okay. Mm-hmm. There, there's lots of those floating around, and how, and as we know, they are not included in our 66 books of the canon, what we call the mm-hmm. Bible. The canon's a technical word, but that included in our Bible. And they were really wanting to know, well, why is that? Why are some of those books excluded? So let's give the... Quick answer on that, <laughs> if we can. Uh, I the answer I gave to the person was, um, you know, there there was a council. Everybody, every History Channel, the Da Vinci Code, everybody points to the Council of Nicaea, mm-hmm. where you know they all came together and they decided on the books. And it's all it sounds conspiratorial, but really all they were doing was codifying what had already been decided as the books. I mean, that's 300 years later. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even these books that are being written, some of them are called pseudepigrapha books, which Mm -hmm. pseudepigrapha, pseudo means Mm -hmm. false, (laughs) pigrapha means writing. Writing. So, and it's a, uh, it's a actual style of writing. Like we talk about apocrypha writing. There are people, we call it ghost writing in Mm -hmm. our day, Mm -hmm. but often ghost writers are in on it with the real author. These were people who were writing things in the name and the spirit of something, yes. you know. And I, this is a terrible illustration, the illustration I use with the person because it happened around the time of the Hamilton uh, thing being mm-hmm. released. 
is Alexander Hamilton was not a black man who rapped. <laughs> right, right. But that thing is written pseudepigrapha with mm -hmm. some history alongside. There is some mm -hmm. history. And then there's some other stuff that's dramatic that's mm -hmm. added to it. Not mm -hmm. everything that happens nor is said was said by yes. Alexander Hamilton. So that was a style of writing that was not only about Jesus. There were pseudepigrapha books written about by Roman emperors. Mm -hmm. The reason we don't have more copies of those is nobody cared about the emperors after right. Rome was overturned. <laughs> People did care about Jesus, so these other mm -hmm. books were carried along. But it wasn't like there was a big controversy. And it wasn't like the church was, was using them as scripture no, in, the, in the first 100, 200 years. No, they were never doing that. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's particularly what is remarkable about the Bible, and in particular these 66 books that we do have, is one, that there is so much consensus at the time that these are the books that are important, and these are the letters, right? So a lot of the New Testament things are letters. And authorship was verified. Right. They knew They knew these are the ones. So one, there's this consensus, but two, that we have as many copies as we do, and you've, if you've seen kind of any study of that, you've seen we have an enormous and in, in, in un... Uh, Un almost reasonable amount compared to other things. There are mm -hmm. not other ancient documents that you would look at and go, this is just so much higher. But the reason why is because these were these were more than just letters. They were letters and they were getting rid, but they immediately recognized there is there is something what we would refer to as scripture about them, mm -hmm. that these are what we refer to as God breathed, that they look mm -hmm. at this and says, this is these are people who had been with Jesus, so so uh, they either were you know apostles who had been with Jesus, or they had been with people who had been with Jesus, like Luke, uh, the who writes the book of Luke and uh, Acts. the book of Acts had done eyewitness testimony and yep. had spent time traveling with Paul and mm -hmm. with Peter and these people, and um, so when they wrote these, the ones that we have and we have so many copies of the people who were closest to the events said these are important, mm -hmm. not just as history, but also important in our own development as disciples of Jesus. And so, as you said, it's remarkable that there aren't organizations, there aren't empires that held on to all of these documents. There were, there were followers of Jesus, often poor, you know, peasant people that were holding on and, holding on to these documents and they've survived history. Mm -hmm. And so, as you said, there was already an agreed upon canon. Yeah, Certainly 300 years afterwards. I mean, everybody agreed on the first 39 mm -hmm. of the old Testament. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then it was the next 27, all of that. There were a couple of, again, there's people that they did debate over some sure. of them because they weren't like James is a, not an original 12, mm -hmm. so they debated mm -hmm. around him. He's a brother of Jesus, and he was mm -hmm. a leader in the early church. But there was a lot of debate around that. Mm -hmm. Didn't know for sure the authorship of Hebrews. Right. You know, yeah. certain so, of the Pauline letters. But the they had historical thing. context. And the other thing that I think, and maybe this doesn't make sense to everybody, but there was there's a harmony about them. Does it mean yes. all mm -hmm. the details are the same? No, but they, the, the theology taught in them mm -hmm. is the same. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you get in some of the pseudepigrapha books, you really have to decide if you read. So you read some of the things in one of these Gnostic gospels, which is a no, whole nother part. Yeah. There's a, a cult called Gnosticism that believed flesh, all the flesh was evil. So Jesus couldn't have been really born in mm -hmm. the flesh, yeah. which, you know, the other gospels say. So you either have to decide either this is true or this is true. It wasn't like there was one angel at the tomb or two angels yeah, at the right. tomb. Yeah, right. That's right. It, th 
they weren't teaching something different. This is clearly teaching something vastly different mm-hmm. than what these are teaching. You can't harmonize the That's two. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. You mm-hmm. can't harmonize them. Yes. And so they're saying this is what historically has been taught for hundreds of years mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. original time of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And these other things, they aren't the same. Yes. That's right. And I think that's where we get confused. And I've, I've talked to people about this because they think, you know, like you said, there's some conspiracy in there. And, and what you have to look back at is the reason they were left out is because they contradict what has historically been taught. And so it's not that you're missing anything. It's mm-hmm. that they weeded it out for you long before you ever got here, so you don't have to worry about that. It's not that it's over there hidden, and that's really what the original disciples believed, and it hasn't been allowed to, to be out in the, in the open. No, it, it was excluded for a reason. Yeah, it's so. the same reason. Hopefully, the illustration I used again with them was, I hope in 200 years nobody takes the musical Hamilton as being history. Yeah. Right. But is it possible? It's possible. Yeah. That somebody's sure. going to go, there's this conspiracy. They really were African Americans who were rapping back in the 17th hundred, you know. I know that is already happening about the Holocaust, that there's whole white nationalist movements that yeah. said mm-hmm. it doesn't happen, which is why Jewish people are so serious about not letting it be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Because history has this way over time of people bringing in other things. And if, if you want to believe in conspiracies and all that, you can easily ignore what is the majority of history to go with this one little thing? Yes. Yep. There's something in us that wants to, hmm. when we can't figure things out, yep. that meet with what I already think should be true. Yeah. I want to believe a contrary thing, even mm-hmm. though the evidence might not be so strong. Mm-hmm. And then I believe, like, I really have inside knowledge, which, by the way, is what the Gnostics thought. That's what mm-hmm. Gnosticism mm-hmm. means. It means hidden knowledge, secret mm-hmm. knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Probably more than they wanted to know, but that's certainly... We gave them an answer. That is the answer. All right. Let's switch to uh, Sunday. Uh, Sunday, we finally wrapped up the faith series. Yeah, I don't know if anybody else felt like finally, but... I did. I know we always feel <laughs> finally when we're done yeah. and can set something aside. Yeah. That, that, that's how I typically... You know, we get bored with stuff real quick. Yeah, we but, do. Because we're in it all the time. So that's just us. But, but yeah, we did finish up the faith series, and we're going to be starting something new Sunday. But let's go back. And uh, the big principle that we learned, Ed, you taught us, was that when God calls you to do something uh, out of your comfort zone, something that you feel as if you're ill-equipped to do or that you can't do, uh, you can rest assured you will be provided with the resources of God and the power of God to get that done. And I thought it'd be good for us to dive into that principle. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Um, have you experienced that in your life? Um, and how do people tend to experience that? How does it work out in, in real life? I think every time a person, no matter how small it feels to other people, uh, when you sense that God wants you to do something, and it's outside what you would have already done, which yeah. is important. Mm-hmm. There's some things that you know you needed to do and you maybe even wanted to do, and you and God happen to be walking the same way. But when there comes a point where there's something I'm pretty sure God wants me to do, but I would not naturally walk over there, mm-hmm. the moment you decide to do it, there is a sense of, I wouldn't have done that without God. When I was doing it, I knew God was with me. Mm -hmm. And it went differently than I thought it would go, even if it didn't go perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And yep. in that, you come to realize, I do have a relationship with God that goes beyond. There are things written in a 2,000-year-old book that other people tell me they experienced God. I had an experience with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminded me of, you know, a practical example of, of that principle is that's been the experience I've had as a father with my children for their whole lives. I cannot tell you how many times my girls have said to me, Dad, I can't do that. And I'm over here going, well, yeah, I know you can because I'm about to teach you how to do it. And we're going to do, and many times I'm doing it with them. Right. And, and then I always, always love to, I always love, cause we love to say, I told you so. I love to come in <laughs> afterwards and go, so you can't do it after they've just accomplished whatever it is. I think last time it was, a, I was teaching my daughter to do something in the kitchen, cut something up or something in the kitchen. She's like, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. I'm like, well, come over here. And this is, and then she starts doing it and I go, so you can't do that, huh? You know, it's just, mm-hmm. and, and it just kind of gives me that look like, okay, yeah, you were right. Now just leave me alone. Shut up. <laughs> but that's how, I think that's the experience that we have with God oftentimes yeah. is, God, I don't know how to do that. And he's over there just kind of grinning. It's like, yeah, I, I know you don't think you can, but you and me get involved in this and, and you'd be shocked at what you can do. I think the image I always had in my head, and this is the incorrect image, so if you miss anything else, this is, what it, is that God is often walking with me and then goes, hey, look at that over there. Why don't you go do that? Hmm. And then I go, oh, that looks scary. I don't want to go do that. And I think that's not the right image. I think what the image is, is that, uh, you know, Jesus talks about, and this this verse is stuck in my head a lot, which is that uh, he says, I, you know, I, and you preached on this in our faith series of, I only do what I see the Father doing. Mm. He doesn't say, I only do what the Father sends me off all by myself to go do. He goes, mm-hmm. Jesus, and constantly you see this, and the reason he answers that is, he has just healed a person on the Sabbath, and they're upset. They go, what authority? What gives you the right to do it? And he goes, I only do what I see my father doing. What he's saying is, the father was already over there doing that. I saw him at work. I went to go join him in what he was doing. Mm. And that's the reason I have the power and the resources to do it is because yeah. he's the one doing it. He's True. just like, it really is like, and all of us guys have had this experience of you come out, you come to your friend's house or you come outside and there's a dude working on a problem. And suddenly <laughs> seven guys are all standing around looking at yep. the problem. None of them are doing anything about the problem. <laughs> we just like to stand there and watch it. And occasionally we go, yep, the, mm-hmm, yeah. that's the right, that, mm-hmm. that was good to put that hammer on that nail. I was going to tell you the hammer goes on the nail. You know, we're not doing, the guy's doing all the work, but we felt like we got to be a part of what was going on. And I often feel like that's where Jesus is always in his life. In fact, that's the story you told Sunday about Jesus is walking on the water. The thing that I think Peter got that the other guys didn't get, I don't think it was that just that Peter was somehow braver than the other guys and stepped out. I think Peter was the first guy maybe to notice, oh, that's the Lord. Because he's the first one to say, Lord, Mm -hmm. everyone else, like, and you told it in the story, they think it's a ghost. They're terrified. Peter's the first one, as you said on Sunday, to make the connection. Mm -hmm. Jesus just did something. Mm -hmm. Here's something, as you said, I can't explain. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on most likely then, maybe it's the guy we've been walking around with who's been healing people. Maybe he's doing whatever this thing is. That's So when you talk about how I've experienced, that's always in the last few years of my life when I've really understood what the power of prayer is in my life. And it's not somehow mystically I'm going to force God to do something I want him to do. But honestly, what most often happens, and it's not even just that like it changes my attitude. It is God revealing to me often hey, I'm doing this. Why don't you come join me in this, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you mentioned this Sunday. 
I get this feeling. I, I literally had this yesterday. I'm looking on my Facebook feed and somebody comes across my Facebook feed and I just feel God go, you haven't talked to that person in a while. That person moved a little while ago. You should contact them. I contact them, just said, hey, I know with all this crazy thing going on, the first words they said is, your timing is crazy. Yeah, I know. Every time that yeah, happens, happens to me. Lot. And I I now can look back and see, I think that's God going, hey, I'm doing something right mm -hmm. here. And then I find out there's even more backstory of stuff going on mm -hmm. over and over and over again when I go, God, where, not what do I want you to do and join me in it. Mm-hmm. It's, what are you doing? Let me join you. Well, so. I think there's two parts to that that we have to be really, I think maybe this is not. This is the way I understand it. God is doing things. God did want that person, maybe there's something going on in that person's life you contacted. Could you have ignored it? Mm -hmm. Would God have sent somebody else? He probably would have probably. tried. Yeah. Is it possible that everybody said no? Mm -hmm. And would God have accomplished it without you? No. Mm. Because the truth is, God wants everybody on the planet to be fed and right. has provided more than enough food. There isn't a population problem. There is a hoarding problem. <laughs> yes, that's right. There, there's, there's not a problem with there, God didn't provide enough for every one of the seven point whatever billion people on the planet. It's just that some of us have decided not only do I want to have enough beyond what I can eat, but I also want my dog to be fat. I right. want to be fat. I want them to be fat. And then I want to throw other stuff away. Yeah, And we, we can pray for God to feed those people, and God prompts us often to, and we're like, hmm. <laughs> and he doesn't just rain manna from heaven. Could he? Sure. He could. He has decided to work through the hands of his people. And that's what I, I always want to say to people, you know, why doesn't God do something God's trying to do something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You asking the question is probably him prompting sure. you right. to do something. You noticed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that thing in you that causes you to ask that question of, of feeling that if it's in, an injustice or a, a you know just a compassion, I, I believe you're right. Um, that is the Holy Spirit, God's yes. prompting of, hey, this is a problem. Why don't you get involved and help me fix this? Mm -hmm. yes. You know. Well, and I think, and this may be taking us in a di direction we don't want to go, so we can drop it if if so. But you know, <laughs> there's this there's this thing, and I know we all are uh, big readers and fans of N.T. Wright, and he often talks about this um, theological term of the scandal of particularity that God. I often, I have, I have people ask me this a lot of, you know, why doesn't God just show up and reveal himself? And we've yeah. talked about, you know, the whole idea of God's wanting us to find him and all that. But I think a lot of people have a hard time, but why did Jesus just show up 2,000 years ago mm -hmm. in this specific place, right, when he could have been shown up 2,000 years later and been televised and, mm -hmm. you know, everyone's seen it. And there's this thing of God started with a man, Abraham, we talked that, then built a family, then built a nation, then through that nation. He didn't come through all the nations. He did come mm -hmm. for all the nations, but he comes through to Jesus. And in the same way, in this particularity, God does say, my plan A for the world is people. Yeah, I'm going to work through people. So there is this part of some of, and we have this thought because of the way our minds work. Well, if I was God, I would just bypass the people. Of course. I would just, as you said, I'd rain down food for everyone. If you won't feed them, I'll feed them. Mm -hmm. But God says, just like he goes, hey, I'm going to work particularly through Israel. And Israel, if you ever read the Old Testament, got it wrong over and over and over. And they were horrible representatives of his. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus comes in. He's the right representative. But then we know from church history, 
churches and Christians <laughs> over and over again have not gotten it. We've not always gone around and fed mm-hmm. people like we were supposed to. But still, God says, I believe I'm going to work through these people and I'm going to continue to, as you said, prompt and do that. And so there's this level for some of us that we go, well, that just... It doesn't even sound like God, right? Because God's supposed to just come in and make it. It doesn't happen. sound like the God you created. In yeah, your head. right. It, but and let's be clear: it does sound like Jesus. It does because Jesus lived a servant, self-sacrificial, laid down his life, and was mistreated and treated unjustly. Mm-hmm. And so here we are with you know it, it all fits. It, it got, this goes back to Greg Boyd's cruciform theology. Yes, that right. We, we talk about on here a lot. That is the nature of God. We don't like it. <laughs> There's a willingness to be un- misunderstood in God. There's a willingness to be patient mm-hmm. and allow things that I would never allow mm-hmm. because I want something to happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. And my view is, I mean, I want it to happen now. Yes. God's and in okay. the way I want. God's primary project is not this planet. God's primary project is us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. us working at this and the planet he loves the planet yeah, absolutely but we are the whole thing we are his representatives and he is at work he just allows us to thwart it by mm-hmm. deciding no i don't want to do that when i love I, this, I just don't want to do that i love this term that we've i know we've talked about before of the god who risks that god is taking yeah. a risk on us by saying like you said i'm going to prompt you well they didn't do it and then god goes okay I'm gonna prompt the next person. I'm gonna go, but a Kate, it, it's a, it's amazing. The prayer Jesus asked us to pray is, uh, you know, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which means uh, I'm at least acknowledging there are times, and we know this. Anyone who thinks about it knows that God's will doesn't get done, yeah. which we all know because I know I've not always done yeah. God's will. I know I've gone completely intentionally opposite of God's will, it's why and He didn't stop me. Somebody will say this terrible thing happened. Why didn't God just stop it? And I say, well, let's move back a little bit. Have you ever done something that was wrong? Yeah, well then God should have stopped you. He should have stopped that. you. Yeah. God should have stopped you. And if God's constantly stopping everything, then we're 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 not really human anymore. And we're not right. free. He There's just no decided. So he can't decide, I'm just gonna stop these big things because then the things you think are big are things I don't think are as big. And then other people think something else is bigger and something else is smaller. God just decided the big thing is that I'm going to allow them to love me, which has to be freely chosen, which means they can also decide not to love me. And they can even blame me for stuff that they do mm-hmm. that I allowed to happen in the name of love. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what is it that keeps us from when, we're, when we get those moments, God calls us out of our comfort zone, um, what is it that keeps us from getting going with him and experiencing his power if we know that intellectually Mm -hmm. where is that where's that disconnect for you guys i I think i think it's that our highest priority is our comfort zone i think and you mentioned it sunday kind of and i can't remember if it was kind of like an ad lib so i don't remember if you said it in the online thing but you were talking about you using the um example of a boat and kind of facetiously going on about you know i've built my boat Mm -hmm. and i love my boat and i'm comfortable with my boat for most of us, and I can't speak to other countries, and so people, if you're watching this somewhere that's not in America, I don't know if this is your experience. Maybe it is, but I certainly know for most of us Americans, that's what we think the goal of life is. Yes. I, that's why we push our kids, go to college and get these so you can get the kind of job you need, not even really because we believe the job is somehow great. It's because the job's going to lead you to a better life, and our goal is that 
at any point, we may not have it in our head that by 65, when I retire, I have built myself this comfortable life that I can just well, one, kind of stave off death for a while. I'm really terrified of that and get myself to this very comfortable experience. And so it almost seems, once again, in the God that I make up, God would never call me out of that. That God's goal is, mm-hmm. he may call me out of it for a moment yeah. so that it teaches me like a lesson, And the, but then I always get to come back to the boat. Because I always wonder, you know, in the story you're talking about Sunday, maybe Peter was never coming back to the boat. Maybe if Peter kept on, him and Jesus would have walked the yeah, whole way across. Would, maybe they would have walked on across. And maybe, yeah. and Jesus would have said, you had your shot, guys. Yeah. Just keep on rowing. Who yeah, knows? I'll see you when you get, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a good thought. That we yeah. always, Peter had to, excuse me, Peter had to come back to the boat because because of, you know, he ends up seeing the storms of that whole deal. But hmm. that's what we want is, I want this little... I want I want a week long mission trip where I step outside my comfort zone and I go for a little bit and then I come back to my boat and I go, mm-hmm. oh, that was wasn't that? And don't I feel better about myself? I want to mm-hmm. step out of my comfort zone and post something on social media and say my thing and then I just come right back into my comfort zone. I honestly think comfort and control are mm-hmm. and so. I think ultimately what we want is control because there are things that some of us choose. That would be uncomfortable for other people. Mm. But because mm-hmm. I chose it, it's comfortable for me. Sure. You know, like I know people, and we've had some people at our church that choose to not live in houses. I can think of two different people in the last couple of years that I know of that have chosen to live in tents. They have income. They live in tents on public property because they can and they want to be free. They some of y'all want to be free, you go. I don't want to be that free. That's right. <laughs> I, don't to, I don't want to be that free. But and other people look at them as irresponsible. Well, no, that's just it's that's a form of control that's for it. them. And that's a form, form of comfort con- for them. The co- control of- is comfort. And so, I think the ultimate thing for us is control. Mm-hmm. I think way more than we would like to admit. Uh, most of us, most of us want to use God more than know God. Mm. Mm. And um, really what we want to use God for is anything we can't control. Mm-hmm. So I oh, can't yeah. do much about my kid who's an adult and he's a drunk or a drug addict. So I want to faith on that. Yeah. I'm going to pray on for that. that one. I can't do anything about my teenager. I've tried real hard. I, you know, I first laid into that, train them up in the way they should go. And then when I can't do nothing, then I... When they're old, they won't come back. Well, of course, you misunderstood the verse, but whatever. Uh, anyway, we want some more. And ultimately, none of us can control death or cancer mm-hmm. or any of those things. So mm-hmm. I think most of us tend to think of Jesus as Secretary General of Afterlife Affairs <laughs> more than anything else. He, yeah. he, he might play a little bit in this area, but only if I really need him to. I can take care of most of my stuff. I can take care of. Yeah. 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 Somebody, I just heard this on a podcast, I think they said that um, most of what American Christianity has become is the American dream with mm. just enough Jesus attached to it to make it sound legitimate. Yeah. 
Get a little Jesus dressing on the side. I yeah. don't want Jesus all over my salad. Give oh, me yeah. just a little bit that I can control well, like how said, much I put Jesus on my yeah, plate. The, the stuff that I can control, I got this part. Yeah. But this stuff that you mentioned, death and sickness and disease and my kids and yep. their behaviors, that I can't do anything with. And that that I want Jesus to get involved in. It's yeah. why, And this is not a shot at this because it's a marketing thing. It's why Christian radio is not about, let me give you music that will help you grow closer to Jesus. It's about something safe for the whole family. Yeah. Christianity is safe for the whole family, of course, unless Jesus calls your kid to get out of the boat. That's right. And you're like, Jesus, I just taught him to be in the boat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want my kid out of the boat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do think that's true for some degree. And so when you think about the thing you talked about there of, and, and what you were speaking to, too, in American Christianity, by and large, most of us believe what Jesus is doing is building up my life, mm-hmm. that my li- that he is somehow coming in to bless what I got going on and all the different plans and agendas that I have going on. And you're right, I think, so what I need is I'm going to build my business the way I want to build it, and anything that I can't control I'm going to rely on Jesus for, or I'm going to build my family the way I think's best, and then I'll throw some Jesus in on the side, not the way that Jesus invites them to, which he says, hey, the kingdom of God is here, yeah. and it's advancing. Why don't you get about doing that work, my mm-hmm. father's work, right? My father's mm-hmm. doing business. Are you out there joining him in that? And it really is a complete I switch think, of mind. I think for many of us, like the illustration Nathan used earlier, it was a relational thing. There's a person I sense I should talk to them. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an illustration. I'm guessing many of the people listening are community Christian people, and you've been in a small group. This happens for 30 years. I've seen this kind of thing happen in a group. And this goes to the control thing. We're a small group, and over time, I begin to notice there's something going on between Jason and his wife, and it's really unhealthy for them. Mm-hmm. It does impact our group in that one of them talks to one person, one talks to the other person. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. I feel prompted at some point to say something. Yeah. I feel prompted to say something. But the act of saying something doesn't really do much for my life. And I can't imagine Jesus calling me to do something that uncomfortable sheerly for the benefit of the other person. It's better for me to just be quiet, ignore them for the hour, yeah. or if they begin to bug me a lot, I just stop going to small group or go to a different church or whatever, I cannot imagine that that would ever happen. So we don't say yes to that. And then I don't know if people don't believe this or not, but I've said it to, I believe it because I've seen it in my own life. If you say no enough to those little Mm -hmm. relational things Mm -hmm. and you want God to tell you some big thing about your business, God, I honestly believe God's like, Hey, I already gave you something to do. That's right. Why don't you go do that, and then we'll see about your business. That's the parable of the talents. That is. That is That's what right. it is. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, God gives you a little bit, and what you do with the little bit determines if you're going to get more. Yes. Well, it's even the problem. I want to know about my business. I want to know about my money. I don't care about this family. I want to know about my teenager, and God's like, hey, I pointed this out to you, Yes. and you already proved to me you don't really care what I want. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it's because ultimately, and that, that gets another thing when you said parable, it made me think of it. It's even the point, and I think we had this question, so you can probably go back and hear a longer one, but about why Jesus spoke in parables. Jesus uh-huh. makes clear at one point, he says, he quotes this thing of, you know, they who have ears to hear mm-hmm. and, you know, all that kind of eyes to see, that whole point that he's saying, I really am putting out 
these little promptings to people and yes. seeing will they care enough? Do they want to follow enough that they'll come in mm-hmm. and and want to hear more and want to do more? And it's the same with the promptings that ultimately would – and see, this is what's hard for us is we go, well, why wouldn't he just speak clearly and say these are the four steps you got to take to get to go to heaven or these are the four steps you got to take to do the thing? Because in our mind, once again, our view of religion and Christianity is there are things I got to know. Right, and there are probably a couple things I got to do, but by and large, it's about what I know and what I believe. And what Jesus said is, I'm looking to see where does your allegiance lie. Are you with me? Are you willing to come do my work with me? So, like you said in the parable of the talents, is I give you this little bit, and He says, those who have are, are faithful with a little will will be trusted yeah. with more. Right, and this idea of our hearts being hardened, and all of us think, well, my heart's not. Hardened? I'm not. I go to church. I sing songs, and it makes me cry. I, say, I feel. Smart. I watch Hallmark movies on TV, and I bawl like a baby. I, My heart is super yeah. soft. I see. I see commercials to help starving kids, and I and I feel really bad. I never go do anything for those starving kids, but I feel really bad. I feel something. Therefore, my heart's not hardened. And what Jesus is constantly, what God's trying to do, once again, because it's free will. He's not going to overwhelm us with knowledge to the point that we go, well, now I'm forced to do it because I have mm-hmm. no other option. Mm-hmm. He's allowing us to be governed by whatever we want to be governed by, whether it's him or my Ourselves. own, yeah, right. my own sense ourselves. of control. Yeah. yeah. And I think even the question about how do I get to heaven and what are the steps, <laughs> the reason we think that's what the Bible is about is because it's the one thing we can't control. Mm-hmm. So we go to it looking for it. If you just read the book and try to find where that's answered, the reason it's not, not clear is because it's about you becoming the kind of person that can do life with God. And of course, if you do life with God, since he's eternal, when you die, you just keep doing life with yeah. God. Yeah. But if all you're interested in is solving this one thing you can't solve, God's like, hey, I got lots of stuff I'm interested in. Why don't you be interested in what I'm interested in? Yes. I'm interested in you. Why don't mm-hmm. you be interested in me? Mm-hmm. That's an awesome concept. That, that reminds me of the, uh, what Dallas said when he talked about what it would be like when he dies. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he talked about, I suspect that it will be quite some time before I realize it. And mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. Yeah, the first time I heard that, I had to think about it for a while, what he meant. Oh, me too. I, it, did, it didn't occur to me that he, what he meant is I try to live my life so in the presence of Jesus every moment. Being dead for the follower of Christ is in the presence of Jesus. Yeah. He said, I'm trying to live my life in that presence. Maybe a little while before I realize, oh, oh Jesus. Or, <laughs> oh, look, I just traveled 100 miles in a moment. I didn't realize. That's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I think that's huge. And that idea, too, of just we won't taste the sting of death, mm. that this idea of, and he tells this story, which I think, and Dallas really hit on this a lot of, he tells the story of a young girl i think it's in india who was who was dying and she has this horrible disease she's like i think five or six at the time he said and she's in this terrible pain moan you know kind of kind of groaning over the whole thing he said then all of a sudden and we've all if you were here for our imagine heaven series which you can find on our youtube channel if you weren't where people talked about their um near-death experiences Mm -hmm. of kind of getting glimpses of what heaven will be like. She had a similar experience where she's getting close. He says this little five, six-year-old girl, she starts just looking kind of away and suddenly what you, what was a face grimacing in pain becomes delighted with joy. She's laughing. She's staring off at it and then suddenly starts looking around at her, her little four and five-year-old's friends just saying bye, Mm -hmm. bye and starts looking and just is giggling and, and laughing. And, 
uh, Dallas, we know for people who were there, his final words were, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. This feeling of, and, and the <laughs> what he mentioned was, and this was written by a um, missionary who was there, said, if that's what the spray of the ocean is like, what would it be like to be submerged in it? Mm-hmm. And she told me, if that's just the kind of closeness we get from being on the beach of what eternity is like. And, and so, and Dallas follows that story up by saying, so did that little girl taste the sting of death? Mm-hmm. And I think that's totally true of this idea that I'm just walking and, and there is something, we've all seen this with children, that they just have almost this inherent yeah. uh, kind of closeness with the, that, that, or sensitivity, I should say, mm-hmm. to the promptings of God. And, and he's just saying that as they're kind of getting drawn into this and that's the life that Jesus promises us like you said that maybe I wouldn't even notice and it would just mm-hmm. things get better and better and then one day I look back and I go oh wow yeah you know wow. that went somewhere I wasn't expecting but I love it all right I love that too yeah man all right do you have something to end us with today or are we done I, I don't you don't so I we're do done not. I right. I did not prepare anything I apologize well, that's all right you, we're saving your voice. That's I guess that's is. what it was doing. I just, I apologize. But you're not speaking Sunday, so you. I'm not, so that's I'll not. be easier right. on that. Yes, you're that's up. Right. I'm up. I'm on up. a new series. That's new right. series, the Good Life. That's what we're calling it. Oh, so. Good Life. Oh the boy. Life, so. I bet it's not what we think it is. No, no. Well, I don't know. I don't know what you. I don't know what you think it is. But we'll find um, out. You'll you'll find out. It's great. We'll I have about. read the first message. It's a good one. So there uh, you go. I will be reading it because I have to write small group. Quick. There you go. You'll, you'll <laughs> I will it. read it here in just a little bit. So there all right, go. great. See you guys. See y'all next Bye-bye, week. Bye, everybody.